running boom of the 70s came during simpler pre-internet times. A unique cast of characters riding that wave came of age. You never knew who would show up, and races became household names, attracting capacity fields year in and year out. Co-hosts Ron Galuli, John Gorman, and Grant Whitney, inspired by the first runners reunion in 2019, speak with some of the characters of the era, share their stories, and where they are today. There's something for everyone in each installment of the Runners Reunion Podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. Delighted to have you here on the Runners Reunion Podcast. This is episode four, season two, and we're taking a trip back, and especially for you Rhode Island listeners, uh, we're delighted to have with us as our guest today, Julie McCrory Collins, a name, certainly the maiden name that will be uh, uh, many of you in Rhode Island will remember in following up on her three state um, cross country, uh, excuse me, not cross country, 3K titles in Rhode Island. She uh, and Julie then went on to PC and beyond, and she really made a name in coaching circles, high school, not in Rhode Island, but in Massachusetts. Julie Collins, thank you so much for joining us on the Runners Reunion Podcast. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me, Grant. Pleasure. Well, wonderful. Thanks again. And um, now, as we typically do in this, we kind of start with the arc of how do people get started athletically, active neighborhoods and things like that. But, but in your case, or I should say with many of our women uh, uh, who have been fortunate that we've been able to have on the show, we, we can't ignore Title IX as having an impact of some sort um, in their experience. Walk us through, if you would, the sense of your early days growing up, maybe even pre-high school, uh, when or if you were, would consider yourself an athletic kid, and, and when maybe you had a sense that things were different, more organized sport and activities for girls. Uh, yeah, right. Um... In my youth, I was very active. I was outdoors. All, I was one of those kids outdoors all the time. Um, hated to be indoors, seated at a desk, that type of kid. Uh, probably you'd describe it a little bit tomboyish, you know, always out playing basketball, wiffle ball, kick the can, all those sports that we played back then that, um, you know, we didn't have, you know, the skateboarding and the, the sports the kids do today. And we didn't have internet and, and, all, and the likes. But um, my memories of getting involved in athletics, besides, you know, constantly playing basketball and wiffle ball as a kid, especially running, was I was a, a huge fan of watching the Saturday show, the Wide World of Sports, and, the, nice. and then a huge fan of watching the Olympic Games. So I have really clear memories of watching the 72 Olympics and the 76 Olympics when I was a kid and the track and field events. I thought as a young kid were the best events uh, for the Summer Olympics. And so I have clear memories of Frank Shorter winning okay. his title in Munich and the Munich Olympics, despite the tragedy, you know, his, right. his right. wonderful uh, victory there. And then the 76 Olympics in Montreal. So I became interested in potentially pursuing that sport as a really young girl. Mm. I had three sisters, no brothers. So maybe that okay. was an advantage to me, uh, not having any brothers. I don't know. Maybe it would have been more of an advantage having older brothers. I was also very lucky once I went to junior high school, uh, we had a history teacher, Bruce Ewart. I don't know if uh, Ron or John remember him, but he ran a junior high school program 
in mm. Smithfield. And for Thanksgiving, he would put on a turkey trot. And so everybody did the turkey trot. And it's the first time I remember coming ahead of my older sister in anything, because she was great at everything. Ah, and, um, little sibling and like, rivalry oh, there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, maybe it is the sport for me. And he approached me and asked me to come out. He ran a little junior high school program for boys and girls. So I think I was just very lucky in the town of Smithfield to have, you know, male teacher like that, that, you know, supported both the boys and girls on the same level. So uh, what years would that have been just uh, to help us calibrate? Um, Because, you know, Title IX was 72 and you graduated high school in 80. 80. So So you go back to 76 would have been my freshman year. And so probably 74, 75. Okay. So so kind of really at the beginning. Um, Right. Right. And the boys and girls, you know, we'd take the same bus to these little junior high school meets. Okay. And it's just just a great experience. And so then, you know, jump from that uh, middle school program to the uh, high school program transition was, was really easy. easy. Yeah. yeah. Now, okay. I was going to ask, um, thinking back, because you sounds like you have very vivid memories of 72 Olympics and the 76 Olympics. But I, I'm curious, you mentioned Frank Shorter. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, many would say he started the running boom, um, right. you know, in that time frame. And maybe this is showing, um, I guess I wouldn't be sensitive to the fact, did they show any women's track and field? Or do you think, you know, uh, was the bias on the network such that it was only men uh, at that point or, or, no, or limited, I, limited? Right, limited. I, I think American television is warped um, in coverage mm-hmm. anyways. So I'm not sure that the American women were strong in the distance events. Perhaps I remember, uh, I'm trying to think, I remember, you know, watching the women's gymnastics and thinking that Nadia Comaneci was the second coming. She was just so phenomenal. And Olga Olga Corbett before Nadia, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So those two women made a deep impression on me. But it sounds like it was the the literal sport. It didn't matter who is so much participating. So you could latch onto the idea of what Frank Shorter did. And it didn't right. matter that he was male. There was just something as a, a young girl growing up that, that something uh, seemed to grab you. Would that be roughly right. a fair thing to say? Right. Okay. Yeah. Anything that seemed like out of the human realm. I think especially with Olga Corbett, watching mm-hmm. some of the stuff she did on the balance beam and uh, coming each on the uh, yep. uneven bars just really stuck with me. Permanent, permanent memory. Permanent memory. Okay. So, and then you've just, you've made a a great segue and, you know, kudos to that teacher who had the foresight literally to get off the ground running, no pun intended, uh, to develop and and open the doors, um, you know, probably before all the regulations were even set up, quite honestly, uh, with Title IX, when you really stop to think about it. Talk to us then, there is still a transition. We all go through it from junior high to high school, high school to college. But in your case, coming from athletically, from that junior high perspective, what do you recall as being a, wow, this is now different now that you're high school as compared to what you had been experiencing before, a uh, level of competition? You know, could you give us a sense about that? Yeah. Well, I'm also going to mention my high school coach, Jack Lelly. Okay. And, mm-hmm. uh, he was phenomenal. Just again, dads with daughters, they were just great guys. And mm-hmm. I just, I was really fortunate to fall under their care. Jack, the program at Smithfield was separated boys and girls. So then okay. you went from taking the bus with the guys to just being on the girls team. And in Rhode Island, the dual meets were in separate locations. So you didn't get to cheer for the boys uh, like you do in Massachusetts and vice versa. 
And so, but he, Jack ran a great program as well. You know, we would have these great banquets at the end of the season. He made a big deal out of everybody's accomplishments. They were larger teams. They were fun teams. He also ran a full track program. So learning to appreciate all my teammates and the hurdles and throws and jumping events sparked my love for a complete track team, uh, running a complete track program. And, and if you had to guess, um, size-wise, the boys' program size, you know, full, you know, f- numbers a- a- as compared to girls, was it equal, two to one, three to one, roughly size comparison? What would your sense be? I would say probably equal. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's saying has, something. That's, yeah, that's pretty I remarkable. Think, I think a lot of credit goes to Bruce Hewitt. He was a mm-hmm. funny guy, history teacher, and, he, you know, he always had a can of Coke in his hand and a cigar in his mouth. <laughs> wasn't really the greatest example on the sidelines but he had a sense of humor and the kids loved him and then the, the gals all loved jack too like a dad he really looked after us i remember one year uh I, I don't know if it was my junior year maybe my sophomore year we went up to he took us up to montpelier vermont for qualified for new england's so we drove up to montpelier vermont we uh, camped out on his aunt's floor in Vermont, you know, slept on the floor. I don't think I slept a wink. And I think <laughs> the first mile was straight up a mountain Pelia. And I think I came in third to last because I hadn't gotten any sleep. And I was not ready for those Vermont Hills. But um, oh. that trip was a fun trip. And it was yeah. a learning experience. A couple of years later, I did much better. No, hundred percent. No, we all need yeah. those, right? Right. So um, now, did you run all three seasons or was that a thing in Rhode Island? No, I ran. So they didn't have any winter track program. Okay, no so winter. cross country right. and outdoor. And then freshman year, I played basketball. I played okay. JV basketball. Like you did as was, a kid. All right. Yeah, so, like yeah. I did as a kid. I love this book. I would spend hours shooting even after track and cross country practice shooting the ball. Then John Hurd ran a track program at, in Rhode Island, uh, the Ocean State Track Club, and it was an all-girls track club, oh. and uh, John would run indoor track practices for high school girls and some of his college-level girls, women at um, Brown, the old uh, Brown track right above, I think it was an awful track, right above their bas- old basketball oh, court right. okay. on the east side of Providence, and one of my track uh, teammates, Cheryl Panzarella, she went, she was a BC grad, um, she was two years ahead of me, she, oh no, a year ahead of me. She went to BC. Yep. And she, when I was after my freshman year of high school, sophomore year, I just decided to do three seasons. And so I stopped mm-hmm. playing basketball. I remember the basketball coach approached me and I, I just me having to tell her, you know, I decided to put all my eggs in the uh, mm-hmm. track and field basket. Yeah. What, what was it? I mean, was it the fact that your basketball wasn't perhaps advancing, you know, to where you wanted to be? What was there some other hook on the running right. side? Let's face it, because it's a different pain. It's a different kind of athletic experience. Do you have a sense as to what it might have been? It's funny because my daughter-in-law is a um, Golden State Warrior fan, and she just asked me the other night watching the Warriors. So, what were you? Were you a point guard or mm. a What's the other guard? I forget. I don't even know the shooting term guard. now. Shooting, shooting guard. Yeah. And yeah. I said, I don't know. I think I was both because I like to score. Mm-hmm. That's the most exciting thing. That was the most exciting thing about basketball to me. And so I only remember having one really good game as a JV freshman mm-hmm. where I scored a lot of points. And I was like, maybe I'm not as good at this as I as I want to be. Uh, John. And so, Julia, I was going to ask you, so 
I can imagine during the winter, oh, by the way, you missed out on going to the Cranston Street Armory. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's probably sort of good. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, so, so you, what's that? I'm writing, I'm writing a piece on the Armory that I hope to post on the Runners Reunion uh, webpage, but yeah. Yeah. So that's an experience that everybody yeah. should have had. But, Moses but, uh, Brown too. But you were having, you're probably starting to say to yourself, I'm having great, you know, pretty good success here in cross country and outdoor. And you wanted to be, you know, go to the next level. So you probably said, I don't want to miss out on during the winter, get out of shape. And when all my competitions, people running the Chris Street Armory, I, I'm in good shape year, you know, all from like September to, to June. And you're missing out on during the winter sports and, uh, were you did you feel that way like you needed to stay on you know um, in shape i think and... it was probably more of a social thing for me ah, and, and okay. just mm -hmm. staying with that group of girls and and john 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 was wonderful too and i i don't think i was ever really that great of an indoor performer i didn't like the uh, dry air indoors mm -hmm. i you know as a very shy kid growing up i didn't like the crowd right up on top of you so that's why it's kind of funny. I went into an individual sport where definitely the individual gets a lot of attention. Yeah, I think it was more social going to the fascinating. Um, Ocean State. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's fascinating. Uh, Julie, um, you may not have uh, heard our, our most recent podcast before you coming on. John, uh, John Mortimer, who is also Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Mortimer. Tom, Tom, Tom I said, yeah. John. Okay. Tom, I apologize. And he had the direct opposite response to you. Controlled huh. conditions, loved having the crowd on top of it. And it's just so fascinating that two people who had uh, such successful careers uh, loved the sport, but for and and but in a totally different context and uh, in the same experience. That's pretty neat. Yeah, John. And I think it's uh, interesting, Julie, that you're saying you were kind of shy, um, but you did it for social reasons. Mm. Right. Right. No, interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. It brought yeah. you out. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen that over multiple decades with high school kids, how great and accepting track and field and cross country programs are with pulling kids out of their shyness and getting them involved in a group that's super supportive and uh, fun. Well, and we're going to definitely come back to that. I had one, uh, again, because we, we uh, definitely identified you by your, by your name as you were growing up, Julie McCrory Collins. You, as I understand it, was a three-time state champ in the I have outdoor... to correct. I'm oh. going to correct you on that. It, I was only a single state champion my senior year. And it was the first year, you know, this is a point of I, I joke about this. I joked about this back then. It was the first year that they switched in Rhode Island to the um, metric system. So that was my senior year. So they went from running a full two miles my junior year to running the 3K my senior year. And so I was the state champion and hence the state record holder in 3K, even though I hit my time, you did the conversion, did not eclipse. Uh, two mile time. Got it. But yeah. you won. The, but you won the previous two years in the two mile. Is that right? Mm, I you know not from my memory. I well, I'm gonna I'm gonna then. Um, I have ask to. I have to go back and check. I have a. I'm really as a coach too, really bad with stats. So. <laughs> 
last night I was on athletic.net looking up all my old, you know, athletes going, Oh my God, you know, just so that I remembered what they actually, you know, did accomplished. So well for, for our listeners, I, I have a bone of contention to, uh, uh, to pick not with Julie, but with her better half who perhaps fed me erroneous information. So for oh, that, yeah, Julie, yeah. I apologize. So Wally, um, we'll have to correct that down the road. But in any event. <laughs> Go ahead, very, throw Wally under the bus. Uh, we'll throw him under the bus and hopefully a guest <laughs> sometime soon. Now, but this is interesting. So let's assume, two, uh, okay, at, at a minimum, we can say two time, right? We, we feel like we're on safe ground for that. Uh, two mile yeah, and, then, and then the 3K. Okay. Um, John had mentioned earlier that there's a bit of notoriety. You, you were realizing you were coming out of your shell, all those things. Talk to us, if you would, give us a sense as to when you became aware or did you become aware of uh, that you could continue to compete if, in, if you indeed decided to go to college? Yeah, I think because my uh, older teammate, Cheryl, had gotten uh, recruited to run for Boston College. Well, if she can compete at the collegiate level, Division One, I, I can compete at that level too. That was yeah. definitely a goal, mm-hmm. uh, and get, and maybe getting a little bit help with the financial situation. So, but mostly back then, you know, we just I stayed close to home. Kids stayed close to home. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's it's they're much more adventurous, going further and further from their homes. I think it's great. So I mostly looked at New England colleges. New England, okay. Yeah, yeah, yep. And, and then that- my dad was a professor at Providence. Oh. So that okay. put me over the edge in terms of, uh, you know, finances, where I was going to go, because okay. I had tuition already covered at PC, and then room and board was covered under athletics. Understood. Very helpful. Thank you. So um, at that time, though, so you, you're graduating high school in the spring of 1980, um, and going to college, enrolling as a fresh, a fresh woman, a freshman, a first year at, at PC. They, women's sports were still under the AIAW, is that right, at that time? Uh, not that I remember, Grant. Oh, it was already no. NCAA, okay. I think uh, it was NCAA. Okay. You know, and you had mentioned earlier about how the, pro- the program at PC, how young it was. Right. I think that Susan Ratcliffe Millar might be able to answer that question uh, better than, <laughs> your sister-in-law might be able to answer that question better than me. I think Kathy... Sarah LaQuali. Now she was an uh, athletic trainer and she is a female athletic trainer that was probably a pioneer in athletic training. And she worked with her dad, who was a revered athletic trainer at PC. And then she went on to teach at Bridgewater State um, for many, many years and stopped the program there in athletic training. But she, uh, I think she started the program, women's program at PC. She had Kathy as a coach for one year. And then uh, Mark Skinkel, who John and um, Ron, I'm sure know, um, took over the program. He would give us workouts, but then we could, he was very flexible. We would say, well, we think, you know, we should add this or take this off and do this for recovery. Or I think they didn't want to push the woman as hard as hmm. they could be pushed. Mm-hmm. Like my, early, 10, early on, right? Okay. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. The 10K at, in the Big East was only added the year that I again the year that I happened to win it was 1983 it was the first year that they had the 10k for women at the collegiate level I think they thought the 10k was too long well and and that tracks with if we just look at it you know back on the Olympic theme theme you know we had Joan Benoit uh, in 1984 the first time the the women the inaugural women's marathon at the Olympics 
And then Kathy Cheryl O'Brien, uh, you know, talked about that inaugural 10K on the track when she was one of our guests as well. Um, right. uh, uh, um, John and Ron, uh, do you want to just give us a, a little compare contrast? You were in the area, so you knew a lot about the men, the PC men's program by that time, uh, late 70s into early 80s. Can you just give us, a, a, again, especially for our, our listeners who may not have been tracking the sport back in, 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 at that time frame, what what might have been the case? I mean, Julie sounds like it was a very, would you almost describe it as club or or is that not doing it justice? for the women uh, in your time? Well, at PC, obviously, I mean, the men, Irish men were at PC way before the Irish women started coming in. So okay. John Tracy had already graduated by the time I entered Providence College. Okay. And um, his older brother, Ray, who eventually took over director at PC for both men's and women's, was a senior my freshman year. So okay. the Irish men were there for years. Uh, and I'm sure John and Ron remember Bob Amato. He recruited straight from Ireland, but they were great. The programs were separate. The men definitely got a lot more attention and probably deservedly so. They were a lot more successful, but they were great in terms of helping us American girls out, women out in, in, at PC, telling us what we should be doing, keeping it lighthearted because distance runners can get a little wound tight and keeping it fun. Those guys were great, giving us suggestions for workouts. And then we would go to our coaches and say, you know, the men are doing this. Let's, uh, let's think about incorporating that as well. So the so, Irish men were great. Yeah. Oh, no, I knew that. Yeah. But it's, but yeah. some people does not serve all the context. Yeah, John. So what, how is, how did you guys do, you girls do as a team? Uh, were you able to compete? Were you competing against other colleges who did more recruiting outside the u.s or yeah you know, like donova you know yeah. you know it's cool like that did it was it unfair not that not that you americans and as talented as the irish but how did you guys compete did you i think um freshman uh sophomore year because my teammates sue Ratcliffe and uh una mulligan mm -hmm. and then we had Myself, and we also had a girl from North Carolina who was quite good. So we had four women that were, could get across the line in decent numbers at, during keep that, keep that score low in cross country um, that we did pretty well. We were missing kind of a fifth, fifth runner, but we were, we were competitive. But then after that, we kind of fell off, fell off the tracks in terms of recruiting. And I remember one brochure going into the Big East cross country. This is terrible. But I read the brochure and they in the brochure, literally, it said behind Julie McCrory, PC women are just lack talent and they'll be the caboose of the Big East. Oh. And I was like, oh, God, that's that was terrible. Her, terrible was that for a, my teammates to read. Was that a yeah. promotional piece, did you say? That was a that was a brochure. I don't think I have it. I wish I had it. But Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So we struggled. Cool. We definitely struggled. But we still had, you know, lovely, hardworking women come onto the team. Uh, mostly local girls, and mm -hmm. but we definitely struggled. Yeah, Ron, you wanted to jump in here. Yeah, what I remember back at that time, Julie, was exactly what you said. Most of the women on the team were local, um, but you had some pretty good runners. And what else uh, I remember about the time for me, because I was right across the street at Rick, was yeah. I was friends with Mark Inkle, and uh, he really made my college experience much more enjoyable because he would drive me over to the parties over at PC. So. Yeah. Uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a lot of fun and that, 
to your point, the men's team, I think in 1981, they were second in the NCAA. So they were stacked. So yeah, it wasn't until later on that the Irish imports would, would come over to PC uh, for the woman's side. And I think as soon as they got the first couple of talented women, I think that's what that's how recruiting goes, right? As soon as you get, you know, one right. or two on to the squad, the others will come. And so then the Massachusetts girls, Pennsylvania girls started coming to PC and uh, Midwest girls, you know, so, uh, you know, following the program, it's been really wonderful to see the lady friars, as we recall back then, performing as well as the men friars. Excellent. Yeah. yeah excellent. No, that's, that's your, yeah. John. But to answer your question uh, from earlier, um, like my memories of the you know, men's Irish team, PC, Irish runners coming in, like guys like Mick O'Shea, right off the top of my head, like Mick O'Shea. And he was a character. And they were, they were a fun bunch. I agree, Julie. They were a fun bu- bunch of runners. Um, and But they were just coming left and right. You know, I remember, uh, you know, Brendan Quinn, people like that. And they, they were always winning. And they almost became, tell me if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but almost like mainstream in Rhode Island. That's right. Like people knew, mainstream knew that Providence had a good male uh, cross-country team. Uh, Speaking about Rick, Rhode Island College, where Ron was back then in the 80s, PC did not have a track. We had, we had an indoor track, but the, inter- the gentleman who was in charge of intramural athletics at PC made sure the track was constructed just shy of 200 meters so you couldn't have track meets there. So... <laughs> We, we would go to, we would jog the two, mi- two miles over to Rhode Island College and do workouts on Rhode Island College's outdoor track all the time. And Ron was a great uh, teammate to the women's and men's program at PC because he was, oh, Ron was always with us having fun, you know, and, you know, you always go into Muldoon Saloon, you know, after your meets on Saturdays oh, yeah. and having a good time with those Irish guys. And yeah, Mark, Mark Skinkle too. So now you must have, you must have run on that. Out, remember the outdoor bank, tr- the wooden track at PC? No, I never ran on that. Oh, I, really? That was they, taken down. Yeah. Oh, was it? And yeah. So, we, yeah, we, have to, we, got, we ran on that track a few times during uh, like Christmas break uh, when I was running for Saints. Yeah, it was so cold. And, but it was, it was a wooden bank track. I didn't, yeah, nobody yeah. had any experience with that. So We would go over to Moses Brown, which was an awful track, mm. too. You know, yeah. just like a feel yeah. house track, like Franklin's, yeah. Franklin, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Julie, just I want to circle back, you know, because the Big East 10K championship, you said that was 1983. And maybe it was 9,800 the year before. So that's how they finally decided to make it 10K in 83, just so you could you could be the inaugural winner. Um <laughs> Do you have any, um, looking back now, uh, it's, it's a fair number of years since, is there anything from that one race experience that uh, you take with you today? Just thinking that was the first. I mean, yes, you were also, yeah. and not to take away from your high school championship when it was, you know, two mile one year, 3,000 the next. Any, any particular insight or, or reflective um, with the passage of time? The biggest thing, because I think with the passage of time, I, I think I was a much better coach than I was an athlete. And I think okay. that that 10K, at, it was at Villanova and Mark was at the finish line giving me splits or move, moving around the track, giving me splits. I, I remember like I just hitting my splits every lap of the track. That, that was, that was kind of eye opening for me in terms of a coach, like, Oh, like, you know, you got to really prepare athletes to hit 
templates mm-hmm. for goals that they want to achieve. And that's a lot of laps on the outdoor track. So um, I think just building the strength to do that and uh, that became eye-opening. Excellent. So let me ask you this. Um, no, I don't know if this is true or not. Did the Irish, for example, on the men's side, did they head back mm-hmm. across the pond during the <laughs> summers? Or what did, you know, or what was your summer, I mean, obviously critical for cross country. Uh, you got to get your base in and, and do all those things. Were there groups of women or, or you know, groups of a bunch of people getting together to train on a regular basis in the preparation yes. for the, the yeah. fall campaigns? Yeah, in the summertime, we kept in touch with John Hurd for the Women's Ocean State okay. Track Club. And so I would work out with Ann Hurd, who was former state, multiple time state champion. And then Janice Cataldo, mm-hmm. uh, McChrystal, her married name is McChrystal Janice. Janice was a PC grad that she probably would be a great one to interview because she had graduated the year before I came in as a freshman. So she was at the very early stages. She was four years prior to me at PC. So she could answer a lot of the questions about the men's and women's programs uh, and how they developed at PC. But was, what was the question again? Well, it was just, you know, was there, you know, did you have concentrated, um, yes. did you do camps, for example? Did you, you know, go well, down we to Narragansett, for example, or, you know, get a house with people? What did, you know, uh, was there anything like that? Or were you just kind of staying local? You, you said there were a lot of yeah. local girls or women. We um, would, um, me and Cheryl Panzerell, she'd come back in the summer from BC and we would get together and train all the time on the roads in Smithfield. And then once a week, we would go over to Brown's track where John was running a workout and we would do reps on Brown's outdoor track. And then we would meet him another day, maybe during the week where we would go over to, it was a graveyard over on the east side of Providence off of Blackstone Boulevard, where we would do hills in this Mm. sand pit type of area. I wonder if I could find that today if I went over there. It's probably houses are built on it. We would do hills over there and then run park at Brown and then run over there. Yeah, that was fun. But the big reward was always Cheryl had this old jalopy car that she was driving from her parents and we would stop at Dairy Queen or something on the way back and get a glacier (laughs) in the summertime, (laughs) treat ourselves. Oh, I haven't heard that term. A glacier. Wow. That's a a long time. It's been a long time there. So as you, uh, so you had the, you know, that, that championship in 83, uh, did you, were you hurt in 84, different event or, or how did, how did your career kind of, uh, finish at PC? Uh, yeah, most of my senior year, I recall having plantar fasciitis during Uh, this country and then, some knee problems. I think I went to a doctor and they prescribed orthotics and then that made the situation even worse. I remember throwing the orthotics in the trash and, you know, a lot of injuries senior year. I think I was trying to do too much for me in terms mm-hmm. of mileage. I'm going to throw Wally under the bus here a little bit too, because I think I was listening to him a little bit too much in terms of my mileage and uh, the effort and everything else. I think I was really thrashing myself too much. But that, so, but that was a trend back then too. This right. Mom, yeah, everybody's right. doing more. Everybody's doing 100, and you know, 100, more 120 is not miles better. a week. Yeah, right. yeah and, exactly. And, and there is that time uh, stamp that we need to, you know. So at some point in those college years, it sounds like you and Wally, you, you and Wally started to uh, be in contact. Roughly when was that? Because he was he out of uh, Columbia or was he? Um, yep, yeah, he was down at Columbia, but he graduated my uh, sophomore year. So. We dated, we started dating after my freshman year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But it was so, definitely long distance. 
Oh, yeah. No, hundred yeah, percent. I, I, I am glad, though, that I wasn't the only one to throw him under the bus. And it's better that it came <laughs> from you. Um, so, so that that's definitely good. So you're at an inflection point on in another uh, in, in a, a number of respects, it sounds like in 84. You're you're it was a not the way you would have liked to finish, not the way anybody would have liked to have finished. Um, the sport is still relatively nascent. We just talked about all the firsts. And now in 84, we've got that first Olympic women's marathon, the same thing with the 10K. Did you have aspirations of continuing or, or what was the next step that you recall wanting to focus on? I remember, and I think my son Ryan had this epiphany too when he graduated from college, mm-hmm. that I just feeling like I just didn't have the wheels for over 400 meters, 800 meters to kick the way you need to kick in these at the, at the very highest levels. And okay. so I think I saw the writing on the wall that I just didn't have the turnover uh, necessary. I could work on it, but I think you know, my fastest 400 meter was probably only 67 seconds. It's just not good enough. So you know? were, were you looking at it from the lens of even as, it, would you have described yourself back then as a 10K runner? who dabbled in shorter distance or how would you describe yourself? Uh, definitely a, an endurance athlete. An endurance um, athlete. And yeah, so I could still... have seen myself doing well in the marathon. Okay. Marath- matter of fact, I did one marathon. I trained right out of college for uh, Montreal. and But I, I don't think I trained hard enough, but I was right on pace through 10 miles. And even I wasn't bad through 20 miles. And then because I hadn't done all the work necessary and all the little things, right. Right. And mm-hmm. these do in the marathon, um, I crashed and burned the last five, six miles. And then, you know, had kids young. So that kind of ended the competitive, uh, part of my. Okay. So, um, so, uh, you graduated 84. When did you and Wally get married? Uh, we got married in 85 In 85. Yeah. And then your uh, Kaylin, your daughter, uh, was born in 86. Is that yep. right? OK. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, I, I was struck before I realized that fact that at, at a relatively tender age, and I, I think you've kind of explained one of those reasons, at least getting out of the house, you started pretty young coaching, um, regardless yeah. of being a mother, 87. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you're what, 26, 25, 26? Yeah. Yep. Very young, 25, uh, having Kalen and then 26 starting coaching. I had moved to Rehoboth, Massachusetts. Uh, and so Kalen was born there and I I was just looking for something to get me out of the house, something part-time. I remember, you know, going and possibly think interviewing at restaurants and stuff and then thinking, Oh, this will be too hard with a young baby. And then, then I saw the ad for Seekonk high school coaching position and called up Frank Mooney, who is a legend. And oh, then, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very instrumental in getting Reggie Lewis center belt, you know, pushing the state in all kinds of ways that Frank was a great mentor. Mm-hmm. And so he, he let me right away have control of the boys and girls distance program at um, Seekonk high school. And he ran a full track team was proficient in all the multi events, all the events. And I would go and watch him after, you know, the distance workouts done, go and watch him coach a high jump, watch him coach the throwers, and then watch the, the other assistants work with the jumpers. So it became very interesting in all the, all the track and field events. So, but he really identified and he was comfortable enough in his own skin to let this relative, new, you know, young person 
yeah. be responsible for, for the distance and mid distance. Right. Wow. Yeah. I remember okay. there was one workout I had written for the kids where they were doing 20 reps, 20 times 200 um, with a quick recovery. And they went to him and complained. <laughs> and um, so he came over to me and asked me about the workout. It was the one and only time where he kind of questioned me. And I said, I, uh, you know, I said, I explained the workout to him and what it was supposed to accomplish. And that the, obviously the 200s were not at, at 200 pace or 400 pace or 800 pace. They, they were, it was specifically designed for you know, two miler. And, and he said, okay, well, you know, is there any compromise here? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll cut down to 16. I think that makes sense. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But I learned a lot from Frank and I, you know, I've kept in touch with him over the years and uh, most recently worked his camp out in the Berkshires. Oh, wow. Uh, he runs okay. the August cross country camp. Yeah. How, how long were you uh, engaged at Seekonk? Just a couple of years, just a few years. I, and again, at Seekonk, because Frank runs such a great program, huge teams, great athletes dealing with both genders, guys and girls. We were just we were just so lucky for the kids that came through the door of wanting to run for us. You know, we had I don't know if you remember this name, Heather Grimshaw, but she was uh, you know my first state champion. I coached her in the eight hundred meters. Wow! Um, and she ran like a two twelve eight hundred. Was New England champion her senior year and went on to BC. So she was my first success, and she babysat for me with Kaylin, and she gave me she, yeah, that was the one thing coaching. <laughs> high school girls is you could always get great babysitters for your kids you know <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you that how you manage you know juggling an infant you know, toddler and coaching you know how'd you manage so that yeah makes sense yeah, yeah. she recommended yeah. A, a teammate a friend a classmate who didn't do uh, track across country mm -hmm. and that girl and her mom loved Kaylin and would drop I dropped Kaylin off every day at her house. Oh, that's yeah. neat. So Seekonk yeah. goes to Foxborough. You, yes. you went from Seekonk so to Foxborough. Yeah. yeah, we had purchased some property in Mansfield and we were working on building a home there. Okay. And the, Wally had started his uh, athletic training supply company, Collins Sports, and also graduate from Foxborough High School. He knew the athletic director there very well, Joe Heinrecker. And Joe was always on me to come to Foxborough, come to Foxborough. And it, did, it didn't make sense, but until it made sense. Building the house, I had to drive to Mansfield a lot and check on things there. And so I, then I, I ended up taking the job at Foxborough and leaving Seacon. Do you, does it, do you think it was because of uh, the, this AD the, the, uh, at Foxborough? Did you already, were you already making waves in the positive sense that this is an up and comer? This is somebody who I, would be good? Uh, Grant, I think it's really hard at the high school level to find really good quality assistant coaches. And okay. I think so you already had a good rep from that. Perspective I think, I Frank. think, yeah, things are in the same thing sort of happened when I ended up going to Mansell, the athletic director, there. same thing, you know, just you're in town. Please come. Why yes. aren't you coaching your local team? You know, right. Type, right. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you've got before we get to a very long and, and, and incredibly successful uh, Mansfield career, we have Wheaton. Uh, tell us, talk to us a little bit about that. Am I correct in thinking that was not just the, the high school, that was the college too. Am I right? Yes. Yep. So Wheaton college when I was at, so then I went, I, I coached at Foxborough for a few years, um, but not all three seasons. And again, another really great coach there, Kevin Murphy, Murph, Coach Murph. He was great, but he was the head coach of both programs. And so I just assisted uh, for 
I think it was just the track seasons. Yeah, just the track seasons. I ended up taking over the outdoor program on the boys side, which was kind of weird. But then something opened up at Attleboro where I could head coach all three seasons. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in cross country. So and their cross country program was open. So that's why I, I ended up leaving Foxborough and going to Adderall. So I could run a full program, have contact with the kids year round and feel like a total ownership of the program. And, and that was boys and girls. Is that that was right? boys and girls. Okay. So then Steve Newman, another wonderful coach from Attleboro High School, just a legend. He decided to leave Attleboro and go over to Wheaton and coach at Wheaton and then then recruited me to go to Wheaton for the, my first stint at Wheaton was working with uh, Steve Newman over at, at Wheaton. Was that um, the and high then, school or the college? I'm just, just um, that was leaving Attleboro and then coaching to Wheaton, Wheaton high, at Wheaton high school. College. Okay. Wheaton college. Oh, Wheaton college. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So that, uh, 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 obviously my geography and knowledge of Massachusetts high schools is not great. What did you notice at that point? You're still relatively young and you, you maybe at that point, what, maybe seven years uh, full, you know, coaching experience, two to three seasons a year. Right. Now you're at a division three school, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe division two at, at Wheaton. Three. Three. It is three. Okay. What'd you notice? Different. What, difference. Um, um, or, or the challenges that maybe. Right. It was definitely very challenging. I love the high school level getting the athletes when they're really green. And I think especially the boys, because they develop so much later than the girls mm-hmm. that okay. you, if you can just be, fill up, pick out something small in a freshman boy who's skinny, scrawny, not fully grown, his feet are growing by, you know, two shoe sizes every year. <laughs> you can see that by the time he's a junior or senior, he's his potential. Um, and so I love that developing really young kids. And so going to Wheaton college and coaching division three level athletes who may or may not have come from great, good programs in high school. I felt like I was still competing against the ghost of the high school coach a mm, lot. Of times the ghost the of the high coach. school coach. Oh, that's and a I, great phrase. Ghost <laughs> of the high school. Coach. That is good. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure a lot of my athletes that went on to college had to compete against my ghosts too. So I don't know if they appreciated that, but that, that was hard. And then also I felt like it, for, it was women I was dealing with mostly, although on my second stint, I did deal with the men's program. It, it, you had to become a family for the girls because they were mm. away from home for the first time. And mm, you had okay. to take them. You know, I remember taking athletes to doctor's appointments and sitting in doctor's appointments for like an hour, um, stuff like that. And I, that kind of thing. I was like, there's not a support. There isn't the support yet level that needs to be for these collegiate athletes that takes the burden off the coach who's not the assistant coach who's not getting paid too much to be there. You know, right. and has little kids at home to, to do right. these kind of extra stuff. Um, I'm going to take uh, the discretion um, to uh, talk a little about the ghost of high school coaches. For our listeners who don't know much about Julie's <clears throat> coaching pedigree, um, and I don't mean to embarrass you, but it is important to be said, um, when she became a Hall of Fame coach in 2013, the Massachusetts Track and Field uh, Association, I, I want to give you listeners just a, a quick second uh, soundbite, if you will. Inducted in 2013, partly in recognition of her 200 versus nine, 200 wins, nine losses, cross-country record, five Eastern 
Massachusetts division titles. Even beyond that, a two-time All-State cross-country championship team coach, a three-time All-State indoors track coach, a two-time outdoor track and field coach. I think most of the athletes who um, had the pleasure and the privilege of working under you are not at all bothered by the ghost of Julie Collins um, <laughs> going forward, at least in, in, in this one person's opinion. Um, but it also raises some questions for me, Julie. Um, all of us uh, on the call here, we've all been, uh, we've, we've all had our own kids and the kids have come up in a different era than uh, we did in the sense of the, the rise of town sports, the rise of club sports. Mm -hmm. And since you've been doing it for so long, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts uh, either on the evolution or what you've seen that started in one direction and became something else, perhaps towards the end of your, your time as a coach. What do you think about the, that, that development? Uh, the rise of youth sports for kids. I know yeah, that I, yeah. my kids all play uh, soccer, the, yeah. the youth soccer programs and then the basketball they played in town basketball. They didn't one year, my daughter did a little bit of travel team for one year and then she didn't like it. So she said, I'm just going to go back to in town. Mm -hmm. um, okay. But I know the soccer coaches uh, struggled with that. I struggled with that because as a parent or a coach or both? as a coach, as a okay. coach, because you'd have kids doing um, spring soccer club and then doing track and I you know I really always wanted to expose those kids a lot of coaches would have said no you can't and if you can't make the full-time commitment you're done I would say to the athletes tell me what you, you're doing and then I'll make sure you don't get hurt we, we okay. want you on the team we want you to participate in this you know I don't think it's in your best interest to do two sports at one time but I I will make sure you don't get hurt mm -hmm. so we had a lot of uh, soccer athletes doing spring track as well that was tough indoor track we had a lot of kids playing um on indoor basketball teams as well uh during indoor track and it's the same thing there like let me know if you had a really tough game on saturday you know over the weekend same thing i'm not gonna overdo it they had fun they had fun doing those sports so i always i didn't want to take away from something they viewed fun in their lives to to sacrifice for for winter track so would you describe it kind of and i know this could be a loaded term but politically or whatever kind of peaceful coexistence i mean you you were it sounds like you were accommodating right um, in, in those I was, situations i was did, definitely accommodating <laughs> what what about on the other end did you feel like if there was a you know let's say it's a, a state championship or a conference meet or something like that um and it, it also conflicted with one of you know, how common, or I, I guess what I'm trying to uh, set, you know, figure yeah. out is, was it mutual or did you find yourself again, up against people who had the philosophy of, no, if you're doing this, you're doing this. Right. And not acknowledging that this is something else that the kid is enjoying and, and developing and experiencing and all those positive sides of, of right. doing multiple stuff. Right. I really, you asked that question. I really only remember a set of kids in soccer, so very, very good soccer athletes mm -hmm. that if we, we were coming down to the Hawk Championships, Hockey Mock League Championships or DTE Mass Division II Championship or 
state meet championship and they had a really tough soccer game, there was a lot of frustration there with that, those, those couple of athletes in soccer, making sure that they fresh for their track events in those big meets. And I think by the time they were junior and seniors, they recognized that their commitment to the high school varsity sport took time with these kids to recognize that that commitment to the track program was should take priority over playing a really over tough the club. soccer game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. John. Yeah, so my question is, what was it like for you dealing with like teenagers? Because that you know that could, that's a tough thing. <laughs> you know, you know, freshman sophomore. <laughs> you know, you got the boy, your boyfriends. You got you know girlfriend problems. You got uh, studying, homework, uh, and this is a tough sport. We, especially cross country, where it's not a lot of fun, and um, kids are kids right. are not get, get loving the sport, and they you know they leave or they quit or you have times where you had to you know ask people to come back on the team or don't give up and you know it's going to be okay, almost like a counselor more than a coach. Did you right. have that? Right. I can imagine you had that experience because that is, is huge, John. That's a that's a really important question because there can be a lot of drama at that age at that age group you mentioned boyfriend girlfriend type of situation programs where the boys and girls are using the same assistant coaches same head coaches there can be a lot of drama I always had a no drama policy on my team and would not engage the kids in that kind of stuff at all just when you come to track I expect I'm here full time, mentally, physically, you have to bring a lot of energy to the job, the position. It's not easy. That's kind of one of the reasons I got out of it when I did, because I felt like I couldn't give it the same energy, although I still think I'm a pretty energetic person, but mm-hmm. not the same energy that really high level that I wanted to. And I felt like it took to really produce and develop the kids the way I wanted, I wanted to. So I had that no drama policy on the team. We would have, uh, I would take kids aside, two and three kids that I knew maybe were having issues and just sit down and talk to them and iron it out. You know, communication is a big part of coaching and and making sure that the kids learn how to communicate at at a level where they're not, their brains aren't fully developed that way to communicate um, is really important. We had very little drama on my squads, which I'm very proud of. And the few times that we did have uh, some circumstances, it was really hard um, to try to get the kids past it and work past it with the parents and everything else. I always emphasized for teenagers, all the little things. I would have team meetings constantly about sleep. Sleep is like critical to recovery. And if you're going to be an athlete, you have to, you have to recover. And I would have parents ask me, can you please talk to John or Sue about getting to bed because they'll listen to you and they won't listen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then I always like cross country saying it not being fun, like distance running. I would tell the kids that, that if we're going to try to make it as fun as we can and winning is fun. So if you're working really hard, we're going to go after the wins. And, um, and then besides that, when we're not competing, we're going to try to make it as fun as we can. Um, Julie, if you had to distill, could you give us a sense of maybe the top three things that you would say embody your your coaching philosophy? I mean, obviously, the, the success is right there. Not only did you have the success with the teams, you had success with your own kids who you coached, who went on to you know compete at Division One programs um, across the board, all three of them. 
But if you had to say, what were the top three things that somebody would say, yep, that sounds like Coach Collins, uh, what would they be? I think that's a great question. I think probably um, have, making sure a- athletes are living a well-balanced life. Well-balanced you know, life, okay. In high school. Well-balanced okay, right. life. They yeah. have to have their friend groups. They have to have stuff outside of athletics uh, that they enjoy. They have to have family. I would have coaches give my program, me at, t- at coaches meeting, a hard time about my policy for spring break or winter break. Like you have to sit out a meet if you don't, if you're not here for practices during spring break or winter break. Uh, I would, if we didn't have a really important meet and the athlete wasn't involved in that meet, I wouldn't make athletes sit out if their families wanted to go on a spring break trip I always felt like let them go let them go give them workouts hope they're going to do them maybe you can't do this now unless well policy changed at Mansfield text with them while during Mm -hmm. their vacation so you had two or three more athletes on if you had a group text you could text but not with a single athlete so try to Uh you try to keep the text between groups um so uh, well-balanced life is one, a family, you know, recognizing the role of family and, and which kind of in some ways feeds into the well-balanced life. Uh, yes, I always felt like it did. Yeah. yeah. And, and what would the third be? Um, all the little things. I was just mm-hmm. nitpicky. I, I had Pete. You were nitpicky. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, but in a fun way with the kids, yeah. you know, I was always kind of gently teasing them and then they would tease back. The sarcasm was a big part of that age group. Um, I had Pete Shooter, who eventually he was the head coach at Columbia with Wally and then BU, built the BU track and then came and lived in Mansfield and then came and coached, assisted coached for me at Mansfield High School. And we convinced him to do that. And Pete, I remember Pete telling me multiple times, you are so nitpicky. (laughs) But um, I think it was nitpicky over the good things like sleep and nutrition and all the recovery stuff, you know. Is it, could it be framed in a perhaps pivot in a more positive sense? Is it caring empathy? Could you say it, is is that a, the. the Motherly. Yeah. Motherly. Okay. So, (laughs) okay. Maybe maybe that when you write the book, maybe you should think about uh, changing that one. uh, Yeah. That piece of the philosophy. Let me ask you, um, uh, again, because of the arc, you know, you, you, you're coaching beginning in 87 and you're, you know, you're getting into the Hall of Fame. So when, actually, when was the, when would you consider your official formal coaching career to be complete? What year was that? God, I think I had, I had probably 2000. I, I think I wrote down my last group of kids. I had a, a good group of uh, freshmen come in probably around 2014 and I stayed with them through 2018 cross country season. Um, And then that 2018 cross country season was my last season at Mansfield High School. Okay, so 1987 to 2018, fall of 2018. One of the things that I've been curious about is, um, and, and we've talked about it with all our guests, you included, you know, this notion of, okay, maybe I'm going to think about competing at the next level. I'm curious how you may have navigated or, or, or for those kids who want to uh, improve themselves, they want to succeed, they want to achieve, they have goals to set and they want to do it. So that let's put that in one group. And those who are saying by doing this, by being a three sport athlete, 
this is going to help me get into college. And that's my motivation. How do you balance two very different mindsets of high school kids, which probably don't, they don't think about it as a freshman, but maybe sophomore and junior, they're beginning to think, oh, yeah. wow, I, I got to, I have to construct my CV, my resume for the next step. How, how did that manifest itself and how did you respond to it? I always tell kids that you have to pick the college for the college. Do not mm -hmm. pick it for a program if you're going in for athletics. Athletics should not be the primary driver of where you decide to attend school. Because what if something goes wrong? What if you get a major injury? Or if you decide you just don't like competing at the uh, collegiate level, you have to still love the school and you have to be really uh, attached to the academic program that you've entered into. And so that was always the most important advice, I think, for athletes going in who just were athletically motivated, not, not necessarily academically motivated, because you know, their brain is still undeveloped and they will, they'll, they'll become more academically uh, motivated through four years of college. That will come. And that's the most important thing, getting out of school with a good degree. And, for, you know, for the kids that were just going to try to build their resume, if they were working hard, I always told athletes, no matter what level you're at, if you're working hard, you're gonna get my attention. I will try to give you equal attention from the top, very top athlete to the, the athlete just trying to break six minutes for the mile. If you're working hard and uh, I recognize that you're working hard, you're gonna get my attention. And if you're tr just trying to build a resume to get into, uh, get doors opened for you into different schools, again, pick the school for the school. Um, but you may also, I think the, the coin is flipped with that type of person too. You, you may find that you, once you get into that collegiate program, that it does become a family away from family. And you might actually really enjoy being on a college team because it, 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 it makes the college entry, you know, transition easier for a lot of freshmen that don't have that um, to fall back on. Well, I have to also recognize all my assistant coaches at Mansfield High School because the track team certainly would never have been as successful without uh, all those guys helping me. Um, and I had a couple of females too. We had a wonderful shop coach, Steve Cameron. And then after Steve, we had uh, former athletes of Steve's alumni come back and help the throws program oh, at, that's at Mansfield different. High School. So yeah. we had numerous throwers go on to the collegiate level, jumpers, hurdlers. Kim Spence, who's now at Wheaton College, runs the program at Wheaton College. She was a Wheaton grad. I coached her at Wheaton. And then she came and coached with me at Mansfield. You know, the, the hurdlers did great under her. And then we followed. Once the program is started, it's easier to attract athletes to that program. They just want to come. Oh, the, the success builds success. But we see, you know, the sprinters and jumpers, hurdlers doing well we're football players, basketball players, we're going to jump into spring track and give that a try too. So the assistant coaches are just key. Uh, well, thank you for acknowledging that because that's certainly, it, it's undervalued in many cases unknown um, mm -hmm. on that score. Well, we've, we've done more than an hour, hour of conversation today. So I think it's uh, going to be the moment to wrap up. Um, on behalf of uh, uh, John Gorman, Ron Galuli, I want to thank you, Julie Collins, for uh, some marvelous lessons and experiences that you've shared with us, options and uh, good thoughts to hold on to for our own kids uh, to succeed in life. And what a progeny, not only with your own flesh and blood, but with those former athletes as they go on to college who, or, and or have become coaches. 
Julie, thank you so much for being our guest on the Runners Reunion podcast. Thank you so much, Grant. And it's just been really great to see Ron and John, who are just two of the best guys I remember uh, in Rhode Island, road running and uh, track and field back, back from in the 80s. Really great guys. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Feeling okay. mutual. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye.